Let's do it. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 7 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on November 17th, 2019. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost, and in this episode, we'll examine the slate of announcements made during XO19. We'll discuss what message Microsoft is sending to its fans throughout this conference and what is to come from it. And then lastly, we'll end on a discussion of Jedi Fallen Order as it arrives to commercial and critical success. Let's begin our XO19 discussion by looking at the big picture. To me, it was very clear that there is a sincere effort by Microsoft throughout this conference to diversify its demographic and geographic markets. They had multiple announcements that showed me Microsoft was trying to enter into Asian markets and strengthen their place in Europe. Let's start with Project xCloud. Not only did they announce 50 plus titles coming into the service, but they're also working to continue and expand into new markets throughout 2020. That's huge. Right now, the, the service is isolated to only a few places, but in 2020, it'll be expanding to Canada, Japan, West Europe, and India, and that's in all caps. The number of potential gamers and market influence there is absolutely huge. It is no secret that Microsoft has struggled in Japan throughout its entirety. From the very beginning, 18 years ago, when the first Xbox launched, it struggled in Japan. And in the Xbox 360 era, there was a concerted effort by Microsoft that was abandoned fairly quickly thereafter just due to poor sales. The Blue Dragon and like just didn't seem to work. Well, with 2020, it's very clear that Microsoft is taking another stab at that market by way of xCloud because there is no hardware barrier. India is a huge potential source of revenue and customer consumer base for them to tap into. And with xCloud bringing in 50 plus new titles, that's a huge incentive for gamers to check out that service, regardless of the brand uh, of who's providing, whether it's Google Stadia, Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, what have you. With Xbox having their name on such a good service or potentially powerful service as xCloud moving into the next year, it certainly signifies that they are serious about entering other parts of the world. India's marketplace could be the huge kind of turnaround for Microsoft entering that barrier by way of Japan, Korea, and the network infrastructures that they offer. We saw several game announcements in EXO that were more Korean-based at first. When you look at games like Kart Rider Drift, that's huge, huge in Korea. When I first saw it, it seemed very kiddie. It seemed very, you know, Mario Kart-esque. Oh, this is for the kids. And then you find out that there are layers of depth to that game that could only appeal to the more hardcore fans. You might have a low barrier to entry with it being free on, on Xbox, and then you dive in and find that this is a huge, layered, expansive esports-style game that has quite a bit of depth beyond just kind of the casual kart racer. And then you also find out that it's major it's a major market seller in Korea. If it's offered on an Xbox console, that, that blends two groups of fans, two, brings in two different groups to kind of come together there. And as the world gets smaller through technology, it's quite possible that this could be a selling point for people who want to enter in. If they know about Kart Rider, maybe they learn about Xbox. Or if they know about Xbox, perhaps they learn about Kart Rider. The same could be said for Crossfire X. It's going to be a free-to-play shooter kind of in the vein of CSGO, but it's a Korean-based studio, I believe. But it's a game that's also huge in Korea. Well, Korea has one of the best network infrastructures for, for internet gaming. 
in the entire world. If xCloud is running well there and it's the first service like that to do that, then they've got kind of a first in on a major potential marketplace ahead of Google Stadia, ahead of whatever it is that Sony or Nintendo bring to the forefront. They will have that space occupied or at the very least something to offer in that space. Cartrider and Crossfire X, while not necessarily games that are big on my radar, the idea that you have free-to-play games in that vein and kind of like your normal you know, first-person shooter, kart racer, two very approachable genres for a lot of gamers, if you have free-to-play offerings on your system for anybody that picks up something branded Xbox, and you're like, all right, I'm just I'm gonna have an Xbox you know, Scarlet, or I get an Xbox One S, you know, this holiday for 150 bucks, and then it kind of leads me into the next era. Or you you go all in and you get the big stuff. The idea that you have access to Cartrider and Crossfire moving forward could be a huge, huge advantage for Xbox as they move into the next gen, because the potential revenue to combine user bases is large. I also cite evidence of them trying to expand into Asian markets by way of offering kind of the huge gets that they had in the Final Fantasy franchise coming to Xbox, xCloud, and Game Pass, the Kingdom Hearts franchise coming in, and then the previously exclusive uh, Yakuza as well. All of those were were on other platforms in, in their entirety, and now Microsoft is no longer kind of left out to dry there. It's also telling, I think, that it was a major talking point among Sony fans or among Xbox fans that, you know, why were they missing Yakuza? Why were they missing Kingdom Hearts? Why were they missing Final Fantasy? Oh, well, that's the Japanese market there. That's the, It's a Japanese game. That's why. And, and Microsoft doesn't succeed in Japan. Well, for them to get this, to get these titles onto their slate is a potentially big win, and it eliminates that that arguing talking point. That's a huge moment there. Consider also that Microsoft xCloud is going to have controller support for a number of different Bluetooth controllers, including Sony DualShock. If, if you're able to approach your new these games, if you've never played Halo and you're in Japan and you've got xCloud access and you have your, your PS4 sitting over there, you just pick up your DualShock 4, link it to your phone, and then you can try out Halo, try out Gears, try out Sea of Thieves and, and Bleeding Edge, etc., etc., there's a potential in there that makes it that much more accessible. If there are indeed 100 million PS4s out there on the market, how many available DualShock 4s are there? Probably quite a bit more. And if gamers don't have an Xbox, but they have a DualShock 4, they have an internet connection in 2020, 2021, etc., there's a huge potential get for Microsoft there. And that is super exciting. The idea that that I will get to play Yakuza, something that's been on my radar for sure as I see my Sony friends get to enjoy it, uh, but I've not dived in. I've not checked those games out, and now I can. That's a big win for me right now. Kingdom Hearts, it, not hugely there, but the idea that the older games are coming in, awesome. Final Fantasy franchise there, awesome. Xbox gamers will get access to that, but it's more about the message that it's sending to new markets that they are, that Xbox is serious about bringing more people in, identifying with different demographics that they may not have previously given much content to, and now it's available to them. That is a huge, huge win. And it's a big win that comes outside of their efforts for Xbox Game Studios, outside of their acquisitions of new studios, outside of their own kind of first party or now second party efforts. It's great to see that they are working to eliminate those third party exclusives and bring people in. The show opened on Jedi Fallen Order commercials and and publicity there. That's a huge Huge signal, I think, to Microsoft fans because in the beginning of this generation, despite you know launching poorly, there were no real third-party deals. It wasn't happening. Third-party exclusives weren't happening. Marketing deals were over on the Sony systems. You saw Call of Duty make the switch. Destiny was over there. The idea that they were willing to shell out and pay for Star Wars, that's a big, big get. And we'll talk about Jedi Fallen Order later on in the show, of course. 
I want to move into more of this kind of XO19 announcements. And I talked a moment ago about these first party studios and what it is they're bringing to the slate. We saw two new IP. One from Obsidian, which is Grounded, another from Rare, which is Everwild. And it's really cool to see second and third teams uh, operating from within Microsoft Studios. I think Obsidian's efforts after the Outer Worlds, which was certainly in development before they were acquired by Xbox, of course, that's obviously it was published by Private Division and it's on multiple platforms, but then Xbox is going to celebrate its sequels exclusively, theoretically. Although exclusivity might be a strange thing to talk about in two, three years when xCloud is kind of in propriety everywhere and in perpetuity there. Uh, There was also a very telling quote from Phil Spencer that I want to read. Quote, You should focus on you as a gamer and the things that matter to you. We as the people running the business, I'm incented to run a good business inside of Microsoft and in the long term, I've been here for 31 years. I don't know that I'll I'll make 31 more, but I'm not going anywhere tomorrow. We're building an Xbox business for the long run. I'll tell you this, Game Pass today is a strong part of that and it continues to get stronger and it supports the building of great IP. End quote. Now, this statement, the idea that that Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox, is telling fans and gamers, you know, don't worry about about the bottom line for Xbox. Don't worry about how many systems we sell. Take care of you as a gamer. It's our job to offer you enough so that if you are taking care of yourself, you're incentivized to come over and and check out what it is we have to offer, offer, whether it's Game Pass, whether it's exclusive titles, whether it's kind of your mainstay pillars that are a bit tired at this point, like Halo Gears, or some of the newer IP, like Everwild, like Grounded. The idea that Spencer Spencer is willing to, to suggest and tell his consumers, his potential customers, those who are willing to spend money in his ecosystem, that it's not their job to defend Microsoft, it's Microsoft's job to sell to them and to make it worthwhile if they are taking care of themselves. To me, that screams of confidence. It screams of a new mentality that we've seen kind of since the Spencer era took over as they kind of re- rebranded and fixed their hardware and then began to fix their software issue. And that's a, that's a huge tell, and I really, really like that. And it really echoes the idea, this underlying message. Again, I talk about them getting to new demographics, about getting to new places with gamers, and appealing to more gamers. The idea of games for everyone. They did that with their hardware. At first, in the very beginning of this generation, we saw the Xbox One launch. It, launch. it was ugly, it was a VCR, it was, it was just not an attractive system for people to get into. And yes, indeed, as, as it's been pointed out many times, it was 100 bucks more, and it was less powerful. Well, those are some heavy hits against you. For them to recreate their systems with the S and then later on the X, and after solidifying their systems and redesigning that chipset, redesigning the system overall, they then moved on to controllers. They created the Design Lab. Then they created the Adaptive Controller, and then they expanded into the Elite 2, all to reach new demographics of people, opening up doors for more gamers to enter their space play and enjoy video games, and the onus continues to be on Microsoft to sell us their product. I really appreciated the confidence that Spencer spoke uh, in that Eurogamer interview and in several other interviews. He's saying that it's Microsoft's job to sell, and it is not the gamer's job to defend their slate. It is on, The onus is on Xbox to have a compelling catalog of first-party and second-party published titles, to have the games that are there and the services that are high enough quality xCloud out the gate certainly looks to be something that is far surpassing anything that the the 12-game launch of Google Stadia can offer, anything that their technology is currently offering. They've certainly got it in hand with xCloud, and that's good to see. Their hardware looks to be going in the right direction. They're well aware that price is going to be a major factor, along with power, in selling Scarlet 
to gamers, particularly as the PS5 news continues to come out of that of how powerful that system is. It's nice to see the boss of Xbox speaking with confidence about going forward. And it's quite obvious as well that they're going to have exclusive content for their system, at least one exclusive per quarter due to those studio acquisitions, due to those studios having multiple teams within them like Obsidian, like Rare, like Playground seemingly moving forward. Those are encouraging signs for the gamer. It screams games for everyone, and that's something that continues to echo from Microsoft in this latter portion of this generation moving into the next. Games for everybody, like the game Tell Me Why. There's a concerted effort to, to bring players in on a software level now. With Tell Me Why, they could potentially be ostracizing more conservative gamers, but it speaks to the direction they truly want to go, and it, it, it brought a smile to my face to hear Spencer and see the team talk about a game that is so progressive. It's created by Don't Nod. It stars a transgender protagonist in a story that was crafted using consultations from GLAAD and other LGBT community liaisons. This is a big deal. The idea that a major corporation is now going to publish a, the first game to star a transgender character, that is that has not been done before. And it is certainly a risky business endeavor to be the first, but one that I am so proud to be part of the community for. In offering a game that discusses the pain of going through transition and what kind of society can reflect when you go through that, what it can be like to go through those stories, go through those moments of family, of rejection, of acceptance, of joy, of sadness there. Not only does it look to be a heartbreaker, but it looks to be something potentially truly special and, and the first of its kind in a new space for gamers. That story is, is one that's well documented right now, but it's not been documented in games. And I think Don't Nod's the right studio to bring a story like that to gamers. And it brings a lot of pride to me to be part of a community in Xbox that is willing to publish this game. It is published by Xbox Game Studios. It brings a lot of joy to my heart. I'm very proud of that. That is, well, again, a risky business endeavor in some markets, but the idea that they're saying no, it's, it's more important than that. It's more important than, you know, angering or ostracizing certain, you know, groups of more conservative people because we want to be more inclusive and offer something for everyone that is uh, progressive and thoughtful and, and really makes you think beyond that of just the surface level stuff. Very proud of that. I'm also curious to see what conversations kind of come out of not only this announcement of Tell Me Tell Me Why, but what comes out as the game and its story is brought to gamers. How does Microsoft go about publicizing this? How does Don't Nod go about telling this story and bringing more people into it? And then what does the community react and respond with? That to me is going to be something that I, I hope I'm very hopeful for. I think it offers a lot of positive positive outlooks. But uh, it'll certainly be something to watch going forward. But it made me proud, nonetheless, to be part of a community that is celebrating a game like that. In my excitement for kind of these xCloud announcements, I do want to kind of go back and look at some of the things that, that are coming to xCloud and that 50-plus games that are available. You'll see games like Devil May Cry 5, Tekken 7, Madden 20 is now out on a service. That's a big deal, not only because it's a sports game, but it's an EA title. Love to see that. When you've got a fighter like Tekken 7 in there, that's super cool. Ark is in there. Uh, Survival Evolved, Felix the Reaper, Ace Combat 7 is in there, The Borderlands Handsome Collection, Dead by Daylight. There are so many games available in xCloud, and quite a few of them are also available on Stadia, which is kind of neat to see. Uh, I like this idea. World War Z is in there. That's a great game. That's a fantastic game. That's one of my you know must-plays of the year. I think it's a great title for us to check out. The idea that that's in xCloud for xCloud gamers to test out the network fidelity there, a very, very good sign. Furthermore, to, and I'm, I'm going back to xCloud because I think it bears mentioning, there is no special or unique coding by developers needed for it to be on xCloud. 
if you are coding the game for Xbox, the xCloud technology, all it requires is you to give the code to Xbox and it's just boom, it's up there. There's nothing unique or special for it. You just make the game as you've always made it or, or as, it, as it grows into the Scarlet era, but you don't need to do anything special for xCloud. Not only is that a shot across the bow for Stadia, but it's very consumer and developer friendly. There's nothing unique that needs to happen there. I am curious to see, it's a conversation I've had with Mr. Badbit from the Trophy Room podcast. If they are offering, you know, third-party controllers or, or, you know, Sony DualShock controllers to be available for xCloud gamers, what do they do with button mapping? You have an Xbox button. I'm sorry, you have an X button over on the DualShock. You likely have an X button uh, on another third-party set. What if you're using the Switch Pro controller? What's X? What's Y? What's the cross button? You don't know, you know? And so I'm curious to see how they approach that. What do they what do they credit gamers with being able to figure out themselves versus, you know, respecting trademarks? That's just kind of a, one of the business kind of goofy, nerdy things I'm, I'm interested in seeing. But bottom line, xCloud looks impressive, and XO19 showed quite a bit for that. We mentioned the new IP that are coming. We mentioned the, the Games for Everyone initiative. Halo Reach, an older game, I should say, is coming to the Master Chief Collection. And goodness gracious, this is an important game for Xbox and Halo fans. Reach was one of the best games in the series. It's coming to the Master Chief Collection on December 3rd. That is a, a good holiday hit, and it has a potential to continue expanding that Microsoft brand because it's also coming to Steam and the Windows Store. I wonder if we see an Epic Game Store announcement at some point uh, in the next few months. But with Halo Reach being remastered into the Master Chief Collection, being in 4K, Campaign and Firefight are 10 bucks unless you have Game Pass, in which, you know, if you have Game Pass, you've got everything there. It's super cool to see their multiplayer suites coming in for free, the game launching into Steam, launching into Windows Store, being available on PC, having crossplay, potential for Epic store Game Store down the line. Halo Reach is a fantastic campaign. It means something more than just an average game coming out. So the idea that that's coming is super exciting. And the idea that it's available in multiple places offers the potential, yet again, to expand into more markets. Having Xbox, having Microsoft, having Halo and Master Chief uh, available in more places. It's encouraging. I love it. Giving gamers choice is a positive thing. Looking at some of the other games that we're not really going to do anything more than just mention now, we saw games that are, that are due a mention, Microsoft Flight Simulator, West of Dead looked really cool, Bleeding Edge is actually shaping up to be quite impressive, Rage 2 and Darksiders 3 are coming into Game Pass, as is Witcher 3, which is a fantastic game, one of the best games of this entire generation, and My Friend Pedro, a previously exclusive game on other platforms, uh, are coming in here as, as, as a game that's available in Game Pass for subscribers. The service is, is ridiculous. ID at Xbox had something like 19 games launching day and date into the service. Something like Carry On was in there, and Carry On looks super cool. You're playing as a blob, and you're this horrible creature going through and terrorizing people. It's a reverse horror game from Devolver. Super cool to see. Skateboard was in there. Streets of Rage 4, which, which looks really good for some reason. That's coming into the service, as well as Cyber Shadow, something I talked about, I believe, last week. But Cyber Shadow from Mecha Skull, I saw it over the summer, Ninja Gaiden-esque game. Super, super cool. There was a wonderful montage of just game after game after game in the ID at Xbox program that's launching into Game Pass. And it's wild to see xCloud, ID at Xbox, Game Pass, Game Pass for PC, all these services available to Game Pass Ultimate subscribers. It's just really neat to see. But it did bring up a question from Edward Varnell who wrote into the show. Uh, and you can too by tweeting me at twitter.com slash insipidghost or just email insipidghost at gmail. Uh, Edward said, did the indie games feel or look too similar? Should Microsoft try to bring a variety, a uh, bigger variety, to the indie catalog? And Edward, I thought about this, this question quite a bit, actually, because I went back and watched that montage specifically to address your thoughts. 
And as I was watching it, I didn't feel that the games looked too similar per se, but I think I recognized what you were talking about. And I think it also comes down to, you know, indie budgets are going to bring a very different look in most cases. It's probably easier, and I'm not a developer, but I would imagine it's easier to work with pixel art than it is by the, to render something in 3D and, and create 3D physics and 3D space therein. Uh, so that might be what you're thinking of. And I think also with an indie game, you're more likely to tap on some nostalgic roots. So you might see something that does, you know, call back to, to games of yore like Cyber Shadow when I talk about Ninja Gaiden or like Streets of Rage 4, which calls back on the Streets of Rage franchise. So I wonder if that's maybe what you're seeing. But I didn't really get the vibe that they were too similar. Carry On looks to be quite unique. Skateberg looks, looks to be quite unique. There were quite a few other titles in there that seemed special to me. So I was glad to I was glad to see that montage. And I think there's enough diversity within the Game Pass catalog, particularly now with... with Final Fantasy and Yakuza coming in there. You got Witcher 3 coming in. Darksiders is going to be in there. Rage. I mean, there's there's good games in there, the, the 7 to 10 range, that are, I think, diverse enough, whether it's ID at Xbox or uh, Game Pass availability there. There's plenty of stuff there. Uh, another listener question that came in came from Antonio Guillen, the hypecaster himself. He said, what was the highlight of XO19 in your opinion? Mine was all the Final Fantasy coming to Xbox Game Pass and Flight Simulator. Did Xbox move the needle in the console wars that apparently Phil says is over? Well, let's address his first question. My my highlight of XO19 was probably the way they they announced the xCloud information, the idea that it's going to be available in more, more markets. My Canadian friends, my, my friends in Europe are able to check out this technology that I've been enjoying for the past month or so. The idea that 50 plus games are there is just a, such a bold statement uh, in the wake of Stadia launching. I suppose I say with a question mark and an asterisk there, uh, the the body shots that they were throwing at Stadia to me suggested a very strong position for the future of Xbox. And so the X Cloud service going into India and bringing more options tells me that Xbox as a brand will be around for a long time, whether or not I have a physical box in my living room. And that to me was the highlight of the show that devoid of any scarlet news, devoid of any new information about new hardware coming down the line, we have games in the in the short term, and we have markets coming in in the long term that says that Xbox is going to be here to stay. Now to your second question, does it move the needle in the console wars that apparently Phil says is over? Yes, I think it does, actually. I think these, these do bring uh, a needle being moved because with Black Friday sales and with you know the Xbox One S SAT Edition being available in for like 150 bucks, and then you have some Game Pass options in there, along with xCloud, the platform gets more diverse and it reaches more people. And so I think that does move the needle, but the console wars have changed as it were. It's no longer a Nintendo versus Sega for the fate of 16-bit games, for the fate of 32 and 64-bit games. It's now more about you know accessibility, availability, and, and what you can go after in terms of exclusives. So I think there is a needle that's being moved. I think it's just happening kind of quietly in the background and then we're kind of getting surprised and those who are invested in in game pass there's 50 50 million xboxes or xbox ones out there for that many subscribers and and however many a fraction of that are in game pass i think the needle is being moved and it's a subtle and slow shift not to mention i think sony's had a a, a quiet year you know they've had a, a very quiet year of exclusives they didn't need to have a loud year just to be clear i'm not arguing anything like of that sony didn't need to be loud this year they, they, they could afford to skip E3. They didn't need to have, you know, major PSX or exclusive announcements. They've got Last of Us on the way. Ghost of Tsushima will probably be a PS5 title. The PlayStation 5 was officially announced. That's fine and exciting. But as far as the needle being moved, Xbox is gaining 
momentum and traction moving into next gen. Stadia seems to be stumbling out the gate. Sony's doing its own thing and not necessarily competing uh, on the same same planes as Xbox. And Nintendo has, has been on its own trajectory for quite a while. So I think the needle is moved, yes. Another listener question here came from Blaze Knight, and he says, Every time the Switch gets a new title, uh, Microsoft slaps it on the Game Pass. And I, I chuckled when I read that, by the way. Uh, I'm just inserting myself into his quote. And then he says, Like Witcher 3, do you think Microsoft is intentionally stiff-arming Nintendo, or do you think it's just happenstance? Uh, Blaze Knight, it's a funny question because I was like, what is he talking about? And then I did think about it. I was like, oh, yeah, I suppose so. Rocket League and, and Witcher 3 and, and a couple others. I don't think Microsoft is at all stiff-arming Nintendo in any way, shape, or form. I think, if anything, Nintendo could be the one more capable of stiff-arming Microsoft, if we're being honest. Uh, Nintendo just has that, that market penetration, and it's got that ability to reach gamers through nostalgia and a number of other just uniquely Nintendo things. But I do think it means that developers are getting wise to the fact that if they're available in more places, like having like being on the Switch with all those screens and that mobile market, and if they're also available in Game Pass, which is moving into xCloud, uh, more market penetration, more ability to reach more screens means more money for everybody. And I think that's more what you're seeing. If the deal is made to get onto Switch, it's probably not a difficult deal to say, hey, well, we've already got the code and all I have to do is load it into a server and it's on Game Pass. People can buy you know, the DLC for it or check it out and talk about it to their friends who don't have xCloud or don't have a, uh, a, an Xbox and can get it on a Switch or something like that. I think that's what you're seeing. That that share button on controllers or the shareability on consoles is more and more powerful for selling units, which means that diversifying where you're getting your games to means a lot, means a whole lot for developers and publishers. That's kind of a cool thing. I think that's more what you're seeing than anything else. Uh, but we'll see. We will see. I, I don't think there's a Nintendo versus Microsoft mentality anymore amongst the amongst the business side of it, I suppose I should say. But hey, maybe I'm way wrong there. Oh, goodness. XO19. What a great topic. What a great show it was this year. I thought they absolutely they nailed it overall in tone. They set expectations appropriately beforehand. And I think there's a lot for us to celebrate about that show. But it's time to move on from those discussions, which were largely xCloud based. Uh, let's move into some other stuff. I'll tell you this, guys, as I went into the coming soon section on the Xbox app to to just check out like Darksiders 3 and to download that, there's now an install on day one, like install on day one button in the app, meaning that when Darksiders 3 does launch into Game Pass, I can, I've clicked install on day one when it comes out on the 21st, which is my birthday. Uh, when it comes out, it'll just install automatically, even though it's not available there yet. So you can almost, you know, like schedule the install ahead of time. I thought that was a neat thing to see in the Xbox app. It just was like well, something that caught my eye and I wanted to share with you all because it was just kind of a cool think ahead uh, aspect. They're also doing like a shuffle button where you can shuffle and find games that you like uh, out of your backlog. I think those are great little little methods of gamifying the selection of, your, of what it is you're going to play that probably make it more approachable for people. I think that's a smart idea, especially. It is time to talk about Jedi Fallen Order. Jedi Fallen Order. I've been playing it for uh, roughly two days now at the time of this recording. I don't know how far into the campaign I'm in, but I do know enough to, to confidently say this is a well-made game that uh, I'll talk a lot about the gameplay more in the next episode once I've finished it. It's a great game that feels just shy of amazing, at least at this point. It feels like a great game that lacks polish, and there must have been an incentive to get Fallen Order out kind of alongside The Mandalorian and ahead of Rise of Skywalker, because what Respawn has done 
is create a wonderful world that seems like it lacks polish in a, in a few places and yet is still a great experience. I'm having a good old time being a Jedi. Cal Kestis is a compelling character. The writing and the narrative feels good. There is a lot, a lot of Tomb Raider Uncharted influence into this game. There's some more cinematic moments in, in traveling through areas that do feel God of War-esque, uh, which makes sense given its team, but Respawn's done a great job with it. But I wonder if the timing was for that Mandalorian Rise of Skywalker kind of momentum, and then they're saving uh, Lego Star Wars to kind of hang around the digital release of Rise of Skywalker uh, and make it available, and they're trying to time their gaming stuff out. Because I wonder if Respawn had, had six more months if we wouldn't get some of the, the you know, the little, the little details to be uh, cleaner, I suppose is the right way to say that. But the game is wonderful. I don't want to send any mixed messages there. Uh, it... it it suggests to me, or rather, let me rephrase that, it brings up a question in my mind. Does this bring more games to the forefront in the Star Wars universe, and does does EA get to have the charge of more Star Wars games going forward? You know, in the past, we've had Jedi Academy and Rebel Assault and Dark, Dark Forces and Power Battles and Shadows of the Empire, Rogue Squadron, X-Wing, etc. A huge genre list of games bearing the Star Wars moniker does fall in order with its successful critical acclaim and looks like commercial success as well does that pave the way for more star wars games across more genres and does it does it stand to reason that single player initiatives will be a part of that i hope so i think it should the question i have for my for you dear listeners is you know is ea likely to be the one that's in charge of that we've seen what two two or three we've seen three games this generation in the star wars universe and they had that 10-year deal well, that's terrifying with 1313 being, you know, removed and canceled. And there's a few others that were kind of in development and taken away. Why haven't we seen a Rogue Squadron or X-Wing? Why haven't we seen another Jedi Academy or Dark Forces or Jedi Power Battles, Shadows of the Empire type game across multiple genres? Shoot, Masters of Terracotta. Where's our Star Wars fighter? Where <laughs> I couldn't even get through that moment. Um, you know, where is Star Wars Demolition where you have the, the Twisted Metal-esque versions? I don't think we need those, just to be very clear. But my point is, there was a time where Star Wars games, you know, perpetuated multiple genres. Do we see that come back, and does EA get charged of that? And I wonder. I really wonder, you know, how that, that moves going forward. But I can tell you this. Without giving kind of my final thoughts on Fallen Order, it is a great game. It does feel a bit shy of amazing, but it's great. If you're a Star Wars fan, if you're an Uncharted fan, if you're a Dark Souls fan... You should be able to get in on this. And, and I want to speak on the Dark Souls point as well. Difficulty-wise, it's very adjustable and approachable, which was scaring me off at first. So there's something to that, guys. There is something to it. Do check out Jedi Fallen Order. That is one to check out. Another thing you should check out, Sparklight. I talked about Sparklight. We did the interview last week, and I thoroughly enjoyed having the uh, Edward Rowe on from Red Blue Games. I hope you all enjoyed it. I am hoping to bring more interviews to you. Uh, as we go forward, if there's an interview that or, or somebody that you'd like to be on the show or you have me to kind of discuss with them game development or publishing or anything of that nature, do let me know. But Sparklight specifically, now that it's out and I've been playing it for roughly a week, it is a fantastic game. This is a sprite-based uh, roguelike game, but it doesn't feel roguelike-ish. I mean, there, that you go out there, you, you get you know consumable Sparklight, come back, craft uh, improvements to your character as, as you pass and move back forward. But it's very much a, a link to the past with a roguelike aspect to it. I really enjoyed it, guys. I plan to be streaming it quite a bit on Mixer.com slash Uh But Sparklight is, is a good one. It should be on your radar if you're fans of the kind of the 16-bit link to the past era titles, for sure. 
Oh my goodness gracious, what a great show we're having. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I hope you are as well. Let's move into some listener questions yet again. Sergeant Bones writes in, he says, Hi Luke, first time, long time. My question for you is this, with Microsoft and Nintendo being so chummy of late, do you think we get some collaborations with Xbox-branded Amiibos? Pretty sure it it would be awesome to see Master Chief on my shelf and in Smash. I don't think you'll see any Amiibos. They've been chummy, but I don't think it's to the Amiibo level. Also, I don't know that Amiibos are really a priority anymore. I think it would depend on who's, who's publishing it, who's making it, who's spending the money to create it. And I don't know that Microsoft or Nintendo is too keen on spending it. There are those, uh, they look like Amiibos to Takeda. I don't remember what the type of figures they're called. But there were Gears and Halo versions of that. I do have a little one. It looks like an Amiibo of Master Chief on my shelf. Uh, those do exist out there. They're just not a Nintendo branded thing. Uh, would they be something more like the Shovel Knight one where it was made by a third party? I, I, I couldn't tell you. But I don't think you'll see that. Uh, the idea of Master Chief and Smash is more likely than it's ever been, uh, but I don't know how likely that is. I mean, we're seeing Smash be opened up to, to more and more characters and rosters, but uh, I, don't, I don't think you'll see it happen. I think that if it was going to happen, uh, now is the time of any other, but, but I don't see it on the radar or on the horizon. That conversation seems to have died down a bit. Adam Leonard writes in, he says, I am pumped by the new IP shown off. Halo and Gears are never going to move the needle for me, and so it's great to see third party bringing the new heat. My question for you is, do you think Microsoft introduces a new flagship IP to launch with Scarlet and to breathe new life into their aged lineup? That's a fantastic question, and Adam does bring up a point that I think is, is quite true amongst Xbox gamers and fans. There's a lot of things to bring you into the Xbox world. Game Pass, xCloud, ID at Xbox, etc., but their, their flagship franchises are indeed tired. You know, Halo and Gears, they are, they're good. Gears 5 is one of my favorite games. I love it. It's a fantastic. I think it's a game of the year contender. Uh, but it is indeed more Gears. The campaign is great. Everybody should play the campaign. If you've got Game Pass, you need to play the campaign. It is good enough. You'll know if it's for you uh, two chapters in. But there's a lot of great storytelling there that wasn't there in the Gears universe prior. But it's still Gears. Halo, still Halo, at least we think with it, with Infinite, you, it needs a God of War level reconstruction or Breath of the Wild level uh, re, rebuild for those franchises to be successful. So should they bring in new IP or will they with Scarlet? I think the answer is yes, or at least they want to. That was part of why they went out and found new studios, new blood to bring life into it. That's why they funded second and third teams on some of their respective systems. We don't know if Playground is doing the much-rumored Fable game, but a Fable kind of reboot per se or something God of War-esque for Fable could indeed move the needle for a lot of people. Uh, do they need a banger for Scarlet? Absolutely. They need a lot of Scarlet heavy hitters uh, in that first launch window. They, they need some day one stuff. We know that your your library travels forward. That's probably Scarlet's biggest selling point. But beyond power and beyond previously installed you know games or, or pre, you know catalogs that move with you, they do indeed need something special in new IPs, new flagship franchises uh, to come through. They need their own version of Horizon Zero Dawn. They need that that new, that Last of Us-esque level thing because Halo and Gears do need time to breathe. Um, Halo's had plenty of time to breathe, but I think it's different. Something about that feels different to me than, than letting, say, Infamous breathe or, you know, Killzone breathe. But, maybe, hey, maybe that's me, but I do think we do need to see more special IP to launch with Scarlet in that window. I just don't know what it is, and I don't think any of us truly do. We'll see. We know that they, the initiative's cracking up stuff. We know they're not done trying to find studios. We know there's big games, big and small, coming out. We'll see. Great question. Great question. Garrett Bland writes in. He says, with the Outer Worlds having an impressive sales 
outside of Game Pass, do you think that Microsoft will continue to let their studios release games on other consoles? I can see big AAA games going multi-platform uh, and smaller experiments just remain exclusive to Xbox. Wonderful question, Garrett. Uh, I do think Microsoft does consider on a case-by-case basis now whether or not they should let their AAA games show up in other places uh, because of Outer Worlds kind of being a good, a good example of that. Now, that was due to a publishing deal. You know, previously when they acquired Obsidian, Private Division was going to put out Outer Worlds out, and Microsoft honored that. But this is not the first Microsoft IP, uh, either by way of purchase or development, that is on other platforms. We've seen you know, Ori's is was a published game by Microsoft, and now it's there. Uh, Minecraft is on every everything, and that goodness gracious, Minecraft is is enjoying a resurgence of late with Minecraft Earth. Minecraft Dungeons is on the way. Minecraft itself, Minecraft proper, seems to be going strong on, on lots of different platforms. So I do think it's a case-by-case basis on this one, Garrett. I am surprised I'm saying that, but I'm not disappointed by it. I will tell you this. I see a world where five years from now, Game Pass is available on Switch. It's available on PlayStation. It doesn't matter if you have an Xbox or a Scarlet or what have you, but you can play Halo. Uh, I think Sony would probably end up wanting that. If you're buying you know, DualShock 4s or 5s or what have you, so you can play on xCloud, great, awesome. I see a world where barriers are, are reduced and dropped down and Microsoft is happy with their games being in other places. If it's exclusive to their brand, their Game Pass offering, whether they retitle that or, or whatnot, as long as it's got Xbox Game Studios and it's bringing money into the Xbox brand, they're probably happy with it being in more places in most cases. It's it's all business. You know what I mean? there's It's got to hit to to Xbox overall. It's got to sell their brand in more places. That's why they're trying to go to India. That's why they want to get in those Asian markets. That's why they're willing to publish on the Switch. There's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. But I do see a world where their AAA games do go multi-platform. And I don't see it as a bad thing. I think it's just about messaging and availability. But, you know, I don't know. Let me know what you think. At InsipidGhost on Twitter or InsipidGhost at gmail.com. Who knows? We'll see what happens there. One last thing I'm thinking about as we kind of move towards the end of the year, lots of places do game of the year discussions and they talk about what it is that's the best game of the year, the most amazing game of the year, this category, that category. I don't know that I have that uh, or that it's worthy of doing that kind of discussion. I find that discussion to be a bit tired or at least not necessary for for every outlet to have. I think that the bigger places need to have it. And I know Gears of War and Control won some awards with the Golden Joystick, uh, which is fantastic. I was really happy to see that. But I don't think we need that on this show by any means. I do, or I am crafting something I would call XCP's must-play list and just recommended games for you to check out this year. Uh, but it's not a full-blown thought. It's something I'm kind of working my way through. But the list of must-play games that you have for this year, let me know which they are for you. You know, right now, Control's at the top of my list, and, I, and, and I'm leaning towards that right now. If you had to pick one game that everybody should try out, what is it? You know, is there a list of 10 that you think are are must-play from throughout 2019 or that appeal to, to multiple different types of people. You know, as you build these lists, it can be a fun exercise, but, it, you know, ultimately pointless unless you're just having a good old time with it. Uh, but, yeah, what, what would your must-play list? That's something I'm, ta- I'm debating and going through in my head. I'll probably release the list a month from now and just, you know, whether it's just 10 games that I liked for this year. I know I want to check out Borderlands 3. I'm excited to snag that in the Black Friday sales. Uh, I know Game Pass is bringing games that I didn't get to play this year coming through. Remnant from the Ashes is, is one of those, uh, but there's there's something to that discussion. Uh, but it can't be it can't be every everyone just say oh it's game of the year game of the year. Well, it's just there's something different about it. 
I do indeed appreciate you joining me this week for another episode of XEP. I really appreciate all of you that have been rating it and sharing it. It shows up on my end, and it really does make a huge difference. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, reach out to me. Let me know what you think of each week of the show. Uh, and I'll catch you guys next week. Have a good one, everyone.